0: Hello, I'm Ellie Harris, and I'm Mark Boucher, and welcome to Poking Books,
1: a podcast where I introduce a mystery author who will explain their book through three books which influence that book,
0: and somehow I have to guess what their book is about,
1: and Ellie will know absolutely nothing about the author or their book until they sit down to record with us. Their
0: name, what kind of book they've written, I will know nothing until they enter the studio.
1: Ellie, tell me about something that's gone wrong in your life recently. <laughs> it can be big, it can be small. Oh, it, could be, it could be you trying to get some eggs out of We're a pan. It could oh, be you know? accidentally assassinating an alligator. It could Those be Those things did happen, but
0: it wasn't the worst thing. Um, oh. Actually, a, a bad thing, something that went wrong was, it was actually just before Christmas, I bought a six-pack of eggs, and they fell out of my cupboard, and they all smashed. Oh, my God. And the worst bit about it was that, so when I make a fried egg, The yolk tends to separate and it ruins my fried egg. And that's quite upsetting. You Mm. know, when you're putting it on a potato waffle, you want your runny egg to leak out into the waff, through the holes. Great. I dropped six eggs. Not one egg yolk smashed. It was just like perfectly formed wet eggs on the floor.
1: So that was something bad that happened. Mm. Oh, that's that's really tragic, Ellie.
0: It was quite tragic. I mean, we move past these things. We learn to live with our trauma.
1: Exactly. What about you, Mark? Well, something that's gone wrong for me recently—just everything. Just everything on fire. Not the kind of fire you can warm yourself against. Just, just Every-
0: everything's on fire.
1: Yep, yeah, all of the time. Speaking about things that uh, went wrong, Ava's podcast goes wrong quite early on. <laughs> the podcast that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but is, is wrong kind of... the right word? I think. I guess so. it did but we we kind of we kind of ignore it, um, mm. I think this um podcast is kind of the equivalent of that moment when Trump starts talking about disinfectant, and you can see the expert sitting on a chair, just kind of, I think she's just like smoothing over a dress or something like oh God, just look at something else, look at anything <laughs> Pretend else, it's not look, there's a pin on the floor. Maybe I'll just drive my foot into it. See <laughs> like all good
0: politicians, we
1: avoided the uh, the mistake and we just moved past it. Yeah, we just pretend it didn't happen. So, mm. yeah. Are you ready to dive into this podcast where things might momentarily go wrong and then we just carry on like nothing happened? I'm so ready. So, Ellie, um, this is Ava. Hi, Ava, nice to meet you.
2: Hi, nice to meet you too. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Thanks you.
1: Good, not bad, thank you. Okay, so Ava, would you like to give us your three interesting facts about yourself?
2: Okay, first interesting fact is I've been both a teenage mum and a geriatric mum. Okay. Second fact is I used to work as a prison officer. Uh Uh-huh. And the third fact is that I am taller than everybody in my immediate family. That's like meaning men and women. I'm taller than everybody. Everybody else is normal sized. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. You don't mean combined? No. no, no. Oh, Am I allowed to ask any questions, Mark? <laughs> yeah, go on. Why not? Since you're, well, you're not there in person.
0: The obvious one would be how tall are you? Uh, 5'11". Okay. I was tight. expecting you to say like 7'2 or something. Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> really, really tall. No. Okay, 5'11, that's still, yeah, that's still pretty tall. Okay. Tall. <laughs> mm. and
1: See, I was going to ask, like, what? how old do you have to be to be a geriatric mum?
2: 35 and above.
0: Really?
1: Um,
2: yeah, I had my last one 12 days before my 40th birthday.
0: Ah. How many children have you got?
2: Well, I've got th- well three. Okay, so one passed away, so I have two.
0: I'm sorry to hear but, that.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. But as if a geriatric mum is 35.
2: Yeah, I especially like loads of people are having kids at that, that age now. Anyway, the patriarchal so,
0: society, I, honestly.
2: I know exactly. Exactly. I didn't even know it was a medical term. I didn't even know it existed. And I was like, "How dare you?"
0: Yeah. She was like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was like a dig at me or something. Just, I'm I'm sorry, know. what?
0: Yeah, exactly. I was like, what? Wow. Okay. Oh, three very interesting facts. Um, Oh, This is the bit where Mark always asks me to make a judgment and it's really hard
1: because... You know nothing. I know nothing. And also I'm like
0: distanced as well. Normally I've got kind of like I can get the vibe of someone where they're in front of me and like there's another barrier. Um, Would you
1: want to ask one random question? Maybe I will allow a random question as long as it's something quite innocuous, like what's your book about? Not I mean, a, Yeah, the opposite of that.
0: Um, what's your favourite food? I think
2: Caribbean food.
0: Okay. I grew up with. Mm-hmm.
1: So what do you reckon, Ellie?
0: I reckon it is a... Oh, man. It's also been a while since we've done a podcast. So I've got to, like, engage what? my thinking wow. brain. Oh, I think this is a children's adventure novel in which two mischievous children uh, run away and find themselves on some sort of caper little do they know there's mystery and murder involved that's my first no, i like that. First, yes, do it next. great <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he has many times like inspired north's next novel a new wave of writing okie dokie so, um, Ava, do you want to tell us about your um, first book? Then,
2: okay, my first book is about police brutality. It's actually very current, even though I wrote it in 2015. Oh, could you
1: tell us about the first book? Um, oh, sorry. About your first, about the first book on your list. It's
0: fine. I've got. <laughs> it's fine for me. I get a little snippet of the inside.
2: The um, first book on my list is I Know The King Bird Sings by uh, Maya Angelou, of course.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know if I can add the other bits. Sorry, because I really sent you. Okay. okay, I'll <laughs> leave it. Sorry. That's all
1: right. That's okay. This is all the pitfalls of being uh, remote. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why, um, why Maya Angelou then? I
2: just love her. I just found like, her honesty in her writing and the wisdom in her writing as well Um, she doesn't really shy away from any topic at all and she's very very open which I'm very open in my work as well about stuff that might even make you look good like mistakes that you might have made that other people might not want to talk about
0: Mm.
2: ugly subjects that people don't want to talk about obviously she was abused and that's why she wrote that book it's just really clearly written it doesn't feel you know like you're being weighed down by anything even though the topics what she writes about can be really heavy it just it's just told so well I learned a lot from her still learn a lot from her today actually and she's the person who probably I reread all those books her uh, autobiographies there's like six or eight of them I can't remember offhand but I, after my da- daughter died, I read her, and there was just quotes jumping out at me. She talks about how to present yourself as not a victim, how to not make yourself look, be vulnerable. How when there's just stuff against you and you can't. um one of the most important things that I had was she said if you can't change the situation, change the way that you you um, approach it or feel about it. Like you know, and that was a huge shift for me personally in coping with what I was coping with.
0: Mm. I, like
2: literal, literal ended up not being able to go to my daughter's funeral. So it was like literal, wow. okay, we're going to switch it around now and we are not going to think of the funeral as what everybody does as this big clothes thing. Like me and my my brother and sister and other members of our family because of the circumstance didn't want to go and we didn't go. So they were like, oh, but we've got to say goodbye. I said, you're just going to have to change the way you say goodbye. That's just it. That's how mm-hmm. we're doing that now and we're not going. So, yeah, so, so wow. I found her real like that
1: second one um i was going to ask ellie for a guess just based based on that um uh the one book you've been given ellie um (laughs) what would you say ava's book is about
0: um based on maya angelou if if i was using that as my my kind of base to guess from i'd have said that maybe there's an element of self-help um a motivational kind of um aspirational thinking behind the writing I'd move more towards I'd still probably stick with fiction at this point and sort of looking at the world view but kind of yeah that that self-help kind of avenue of, of what is a new way to look at the world like shit's horrible lots of lots of horrible stuff happens and and how can the power of writing and the magic of writing help other people through that. So I think I'd, I'd go for more kind of maybe still fictional, but with a kind of like self-help motivational thread.
1: Great. However, do you want to talk about um the second book on your list of influences?
2: The second book was Zadie Smith's White, just simply because I just like the way she wrote across different cultures. And it was just so London. It just felt really London and current and I just liked her perspective on things. I liked the way she wrote the characters. I liked the way that it, you know, it all sort of, the narrative was just so easy to follow. It didn't feel uncomfortable to read. Again, I kind of like stuff that deals with what can be seen as heavy topics, but it's just done in, a, in such a beautiful, simple way. Mm. And I think she's a really good writer like that. You know, you don't like all of her characters. And you're not supposed to, but that's okay as well. They're not like characters you know, you might, you get annoyed with the characters because you're invested in her writing and the story. Mm-hmm. You don't get annoyed with the characters because you're sitting thinking, who would do that? That's just nonsense. This is, you know, I, I just think she's a really good writer that way.
0: Okay. <laughs> oh, it's still like, although we've, we've touched upon what it might be about, I, it's it's still, there's still so much to guess. Uh, oh, okay. I'm going to stick with fiction for now. I think the Maybe your writing uses um, lived experience to kind of motivate it and inspire it. I'm thinking maybe there's a strong black female protagonist that is kind of dealing with a lot of shit and kind of, um, maybe it's quite an inspirational motivational story about how she is fighting back against injustice and um, for a greater cause, oh, it's really hard to pin it down um that's that's pretty I think it's
1: pretty specific yeah okay
0: I never know whether I'm like specific enough not specific enough (laughs) so it's it's varies author to author
1: okay um did you want to give us um your your third book in inverted commas
2: yeah I've settled on Merchant of Venice obviously by Shakespeare because I love Shakespeare And my headmistress at my prep school used to, she got me into performing and acting and stuff. And she would, I remember we went to a theater in Stafford, um, where we adaptation of Merchant of Venice. So I obviously know it really, really well. And um, I just like Shakespeare generally. I'm just, I've always really, really enjoyed um, his stuff. I didn't find it hard like a lot of kids did. I like the stories. I found um, a lot of the comedy in it pretty funny.
0: Mm.
2: Um, obviously, comedy funny, but I found I found a lot of it quite funny. I found it witty. I just found it really interesting. I liked the emotions in it of the characters, even though it was like written so long ago. It didn't feel like too pompous or anything. It felt like you knew the characters and stuff, and you felt like you know, um, like Midsummer Night's Dream. I don't know, I just always loved that because Helena, I'm tall, and I was, was a tall kid as well, had <laughs> you can relate. long legs. Yeah, there was just that line <laughs> or something where, you know, she'd fallen in love with the other one's boyfriend and they got into an argument and then she said something and, goes, and these legs are long to run away. <laughs> I just can't remember exactly what the quote was, but I went round for
0: like, to, yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, just causing trouble and sprinting off. And I just... <laughs> and yeah I just really really liked I just just liked his work and just found it interesting and even though women weren't allowed to perform back then or be in the actual place which is where obviously saying that's where drag the acronym drag comes from Mm. there was a lot of female characters in it a lot of them Mm. I mean all throughout his work so I kind of like that about it really because I suppose knowing you're writing plays and stuff and knowing that women are not allowed to perform and all of that, you'd think he could have gone really male centric and I never found it like that. I never found Mm. it, you know, as a woman or a girl, you know, that it was something that wasn't for me. And I didn't even feel like as a black person, it wasn't something for me. I chose Merchant of Venice because of Shylock. It's like when I really got anti-Semitism. obviously I knew about the Holocaust, but not much. but just sort of seeing that and, and reading that, being directed to one person and then how I felt as a black person, knowing that how that feels mm. to be, you know, stereotyped and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple of books I read like that, but obviously a different, like I remember Silas Marner as well and stuff that I was just chucked at, at school. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting. So I kind of got, sort of, I guess that was my first, lesson in intersectionality Mm. (laughs) and going oh wow that's interesting yeah so that would be my third book it was hard to get that third one pinned down
1: (laughs) okay um you were were you saying something about being uh, before we started recording about being in a in a comedy troupe and that you'd written some, yeah. some material about Shakespeare. I didn't know. I think I think we can add this is a bonus fact because I don't I love a bonus think, fact. Yep. Yeah, because unless <laughs> unless it's a um unless it sort of intrudes into the book, um Ava is also uh, a comedian. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so do you want to talk about, yeah, about that experience on the on the sketch show?
2: The first thing I did was think thing called BBC Urban Sketch Show, which decidedly didn't make it to TV. Mm-hmm. But we had to come in and we wrote all these, um, like, sketches and you just chuck them in the middle and people would just read them and, um, you know, whichever one you kind of went with. So I'd had this character called Shakespeare Woman, which, you know, was, I was new in comedy, so it's kind of like <laughs> a hack sort of premise really is that you just put this woman in modern into sort of hackney or areas that well you like anyway like Brixton and stuff that Mm -hmm. had a predominantly Caribbean um you know and she would just answer them but sounding like a character from Shakespeare being completely out of place in it and I do hold on a second can you not be rude (laughs) this is how it's been
0: Uh (laughs) I can imagine for months
2: I was trying to interview with Skye and she's always trying to get herself on TV. Uh-huh. And then I was doing it with RT and then she was just gradually singing louder and louder. And louder. She's like, and here's she... my
0: 15 minutes of fame. I will grab it wherever I can.
2: Exactly. exactly. She was going, can I sing? I was like, no. She went, can I dance? I'm like, this is the news. No. Stop.
1: I love it. Kids now want to be like the um, like the kids of the... uh. That guy was it in North Korea. The, South Korea. The I can't baby
0: came through in the stroller. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. And then and yeah. then the mum drags yes, them off.
0: Exactly.
2: Sorry. So,
1: yeah. No, it's fine. Don't it apologise. Sorry.
2: I always say I can see she was she was getting louder and louder and louder. She was, had her hands on the hips, and that never ends well. <laughs> so um, yeah. So I'd written this character, like I said, and you just put her in modern places. You just say, oh you know sound very Shakespearean and I just remember when we we put them in the middle and the producer really liked that character and those sketches and he was like who was that and I went oh I did he was like you I was like yeah he goes you wrote this I was like yeah I just thought it was so cheeky (laughs) I was like actually actually, yeah and I'm gonna
0: run away with my really long legs so yeah exactly (laughs) okay
1: cool um so Ellie you've got three books and you've been I mean to say you've been given plenty to go mm-hmm. on this time would be—it's uh, fine, <laughs> absolutely. I'm to I think exaggerate. this is why
0: the podcast is fun, though, right? Because it's never, it is never the same with any author whatsoever. And no. I mean, it's good for me because it makes my uh, my guessing not so hard. Because it's honestly, it's so difficult, and it's so yeah. much pressure to be sat in front of someone going, "I think this is what you've written a book about," and people are like, "Is that what you think of me?" Um, so just, <laughs> sometimes I'm like close, and sometimes I'm not, but. Um, okay. I, uh, the Shakespeare third influence threw me a little bit, but I, what I would have picked up on from that was the kind of, the comedic value from it. I think, I don't know, that's what i that's what I took from Shakespeare. I didn't do a lot, but we did like, did Merchant of Venice at school and then um, Much Ado About Nothing, really studied that at college. And I I thought it was hilarious once I actually understood. And I think- Maybe maybe that is what comes through in your writing is the kind of trying to teach people about an issue. I'm um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just make a wild guess. Maybe police brutality possibly could be one of those things. I don't know, but um I think maybe it's maybe it does follow. I'm still gonna stick with fiction. And I'm going to stick with strong black female protagonist. Oh, but I don't know if there's one character or more. Hmm. Okay, so I'm torn between like, is yeah, I'm torn characters. between like one main character's story throughout, or is it multiple women? Oh, okay. I'm going to change my guess. I'm still sticking with fiction, but I'm going to guess that it is multiple stories of. Strong black women through history who have suffered at the hands of police brutality and kind of how things haven't changed, but um, how they have gone about trying to like make a difference in their own way and try and change how the world works and how people see these issues um, to, to kind of, yeah, be forces of nature and be forces for change. That's my
2: I'm not
0: sleeping before I'm allowed to. I think you probably use humour throughout to kind of, because obviously that's like, it, it's dark, heavy hitting, but I think you probably put in quite a lot of, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Comic relief yeah. throughout to try and kind of, and maybe that's what allows readers to, learn and engage and understand and kind of connect to those stories throughout yeah. rather than it being kind of like um yeah
1: having a disconnect is that an okay guess mark that is a good i mean there are, okay. there, there are no wrong guesses um yeah great um so Abba, no, no, no. i think <laughs> okay. now is the time okay <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry it's something Sometimes what we have to have to realise is that it's me just asking the questions in a shit way <laughs> no, 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 no,
0: and making yeah, my podcast. It's fine. Um, Honestly, it's fine. Adds I to think it.
1: It, I think it'll make the cut. <laughs> yeah, why and why not? I think I think there are all these things that go wrong are often the best. It's, it's, things it's to like make we the did, cut. we did an so,
0: episode where. Um, mark told one of our authors not told her off but uh, said oh don't give ellie too much don't give her too much and she turned around i was like absolutely not i think that's really f- unfair i'm gonna tell her when she's getting it right and shush <laughs> it was great and i was like yes
1: um okay so ava could you give me uh give us your full name the name of your book and um, what it's about
2: yeah. my name is ava vidal my book is called pour on water and the book is about um, death at the hands of police, police brutality, essentially. And it's quite, uh, like I said, it's quite topical now, because unfortunately it keeps happening. Um, and it was set in Dalston. And I got the idea of rewriting the book um, because it just, it's, it spun from one point and then it just started. You're right about it. A lot of lived experience in it. A lot based on people that I know. Mm-hmm. There was a particular family in Hackney that I knew. And um, I was seeing like a guy from this family here. He had quite so like five brothers or something. Mm-hmm. So five black guys growing up in East London had a lot of contact with the police <laughs> and stuff. And their parents yeah. and sort of based it on their attitude. Just, you know, like the mum just wouldn't, See that her son was a criminal, and I was like, "He's a criminal." She's like, "No, he's not." And I thought, "Okay." And so that was all forming a met. And, and then I remember walking down uh, Kingsland High Road and seeing a cafe, and it said, "Today's special is brie and apple sandwiches." And I was like, "Are they taking the piss?" Like this used to be such a massive Caribbean, and it just annoyed me. And that mm. actually comes that's in the book. As she's walking along, she sees the cafe and it has brie and apple sa- sandwiches because I wanted to have a moan about how gentrified <laughs> it was and how basically, like, you can walk along and you'll see white kids sitting on the pavement smoking weed. And then you're seeing, you know, then it, oh, I'd written it before this happened. You see a black boy like Rashawn Charles who was who died in very much in the way that the character in my book, had written, but I have it hadn't happened when I'd written it. So it was kind of scary when that sort of happened just with the policemen and the differences and the bitterness that it was bringing out in people and i used to take my son to a thing called 100 black men of london it's like a mentoring program mm-hmm. so you go along and then you go along as the parents and you you people come in and speak to you about you know post-traumatic slave dis dis you know mm-hmm. disorder or you know or post-traumatic slave stress or i can't remember what the hell form PTSD related to slavery and all that stuff mm-hmm. yeah. and so I just remember sort of looking and I remember they had um something on Woodbury Down Estate if you know it I don't. So, um Woodbury Down Estate is in right. Manor House okay. and so we go there for the meetings and I'm not kidding they built it looked like something like they had like sailing boats on it they brought like all these shops and a dry cleaner and I, I thought and you just see the kids around who are really poor uh, in, and on, on the other side of the road, you've got all that going on. And just thinking, God, they could fix up this estate when they wanted to, when they wanted mm-hmm. to make money off it. And the gentrification was at the heart of it as well. Mm-hmm. And then obviously um, there was mistaken identity. So the person who was killed wasn't the person they originally thought. So the person who actually killed was a person of good character. And it was just like how you'll be criminalized for your own death. It doesn't matter if you're a nice person or not. They start to go through your social media and start to try and find pictures of you where you were doing what looked like a gang sign or, oh my God, look, there was a picture that wasn't a good person. They looked like they're smoking a spliff in that picture. And it was mm. about, you know, criminalization and yeah, that kind of thing really. And it, it did sort of have very dark moments, yeah. And um, yeah, you were right about the humor in it to sort of balance it out. Mm. And just, you know, I've got um, a really dark sense of humour anyway. I find when I write, it's harder because when I do stand-up, I'm pretty softly spoken. I'm not a loud comedian. I don't bounce all over the place. can't bother. And I will make some really heavy jokes, but it's the tone that I say them in that tells it as jokes. So when I'm writing, uh-huh. I don't have that. So that was a thing that I had to work out and balance out. And it was mm. to put like, a lot more jokes and stuff in it. Mm. Mm. Uh, i don 't want to really reveal what happens, but it was just also I got the idea from going to demos like police brutality demos right. and the woman in the book there's, there is it 's told from two points of view, but the black woman is the main point of view okay. but it 's also about her brother as well and who who was inside who was in prison so it 's more her point of view because I found it hard writing for a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I had to really, really try to write for a guy and not get all my bitterness out there. <laughs> just like make him completely evil and unlikable like most men. But no, I didn't. I, to, I, to, I found that really, really hard um, to deal with. So it was mainly mainly from a uh, black woman and it was, uh-huh. she was based on Marcia Rig. I don't know if you know Marcia Is, uh Her brother died in Brixton Police Station. or oh, I think he died in the back of a van. Mm -hmm. actually on the way to Brixton police station and just watching her and the way she conducted herself and the way she spoke about him, the way she just carried on fighting for him and stuff like that. And it's about, Mm. do you carry on fighting for the rest of your life? Do you give up at some point? What do you kind of do? And I just, I like that. But then I like how death at the hand of police is actually a business. And that sounds really horrible, but it's a business and there's people like who's descended on the family, who would like quote unquote community leaders. They set up, you know, like there's the guy in it who basically, he goes from family to family and basically chats up the grieving women that are there and hits on them and stuff like that. And I, like, just things that I saw around, and I saw that certain people that they speak out against it are not actually invested in it stopping because that's how they make their living. So See. it was, yeah. Oh.
1: And hopefully you mean sort of uh, anything from charity campaigners yeah. or how how do you mean?
2: If charity campaigners or people who descend when there's been a racist incident and that's their living, they mm. run um, you know, gosh, what they called they get into the newspapers, they start doing all the interviews for the family, right. they become the family spokesperson oh, and yeah. sometimes haven't been nice used to. Do. They just descend, go right taking over from here, this is what's gonna happen. Da, 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 da. The family piece and it's like yeah, yeah. So it's was kind of just sort of that element of it and just her going through all kinds of different people to try and get people to listen to her. And then you would have like the um kind of, you know, people who are going, okay, we're traditional black people. We're into this, we're into that. We eat like all natural foods and all of this stuff. But then they treated women like crap. So it was kind of like she was being told to shut up. And she's like, excuse me, this is like my family's thing and also what it cost her as well. Cause she was a businesswoman. She had her own, um, her own business, uh, you know, successful PR agency thing that she was doing and how people just don't want to touch you once you get associated with that kind of thing mm-hmm. and how, you know, her business partners fell away from her family, um, uh, fell away from her, her boyfriend, who was an, um uh, up and coming black MP who was, um, has similarities to David Lammy, but I didn't base it on him.
1: What well, I was going to ask was, what what was the point that you decided to take on such a? Uh, was it just walking past that sort of gentrified cafe, or what was the moment you thought, "I'm I'm going to write this. I'm going to I'm going to write a book." I think on it
2: was at, the, at a demo, mm-hmm. and I, I I saw this. I saw I won't say whose parents it was, but of one of the cases of a, a black guy that died at the hands of police, mm-hmm. and um. I saw his mum and she was walking around, carrying a big picture. Like people walk around with the pictures and I, of the people that have died and mm. I knew of that case. So I spoke to her and I said, I know of that case, like what's going on and stuff. And she, said, oh, you know, we were supposed to move back to the Caribbean um, like 10 years ago, but we're not going till we get justice for our son. And I remember thinking, you're not going then, are you? Because you're not going to get it. And I don't know, I just felt like anger in that moment. Mm-hmm. And just thought, what would I do if that was me? How long would I keep going? Would I put my life on hold indefinitely? Should you or shouldn't you? Or... Mm-hmm. And that was probably the moment that pushed me. But then I started to obviously bring in all the other strands of things that I'd seen, mm-hmm. like the cafe, like what was going on in Dulston, like what I saw at Woodbury Down Estate. And I just wanted to wrap it all up in one story. I'm
1: just interested if that's kind of more... It seems like so many questions it, yeah. it throws out. I'm, I'm so interested to see when, when it happens and when I do really, it, where it actually goes. Cause it just seems like a million frustrations yeah. all thrown. That's what, how it's supposed yeah. to feel.
2: It was kind of supposed to be like a, you know, the way I structure my comedy set mm. is that you've just learned loads of stuff and um, you didn't even notice it happening. Yeah. So I remember someone coming up to me after I'd been on stage and went, oh God, I thought you were just going to go up there and talk about black stuff all the time. And I went, I did. <laughs> oh yeah, you did. Oh yeah. And I'm mean, <laughs> doing something in the House of Parliament. Like I like, it, I like to write something and then it might hit you later or you don't quite mm. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, just like-
0: infiltrate and then it sort there. of, after you've gone away, <laughs> you-
2: yeah, I think probably because the way um, I, I was brought up, the kind of schools I went to and stuff like that, like my humour always been really British, like, you know, I'm not Americanised in my humour at all, mm-hmm. which a lot of people thought I would be, I don't, like, I like that kind of, you don't realise what happens, like I had to do a speech in Parliament um, for the Anthony Nunn Trust, and just slipped a few lines in there. And then just a Tory came, MP came up to me I and went, Hey, you just called this racist. <laughs> oh, uh huh. That's exactly what I did. He was like, How do you mean
0: that?
2: That was the way you were meant to get it.
0: <laughs> I love so, it. Wow. It's the sneaky. So, I love it.
1: Yeah. You've got to understand it to be insulted. Level of intellectuals that not everyone can cut
0: I
2: like more cerebral types of comedy and Uh and stuff like that. And also, you know, smutty, whatever. Like, Round the Horn was one of my favourite things. I just thought it was hilarious. Mm. I just thought, it's just so cheeky. So I absolutely adored that. And I think, like, one of my favourite sitcoms was like, Never the Twain. I did like American. Oh, that was, oh God, it was just two Donalds. And they were ex army guys and they're just miserable old gits. And I, d- I found it really funny. I thought it was really good. Uh-huh. Um, tried to watch it when I grew up. Got old, didn't. You know, when something doesn't age well, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. translate yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Kind of, that's the kind of humor that I have and that mm-hmm. I like and I enjoy.
1: So, what's happening with the book? Uh,
2: the book is uh, with Unbound. And I th- as this Black Lives Matter thing, because I just signed with Unbound and was just, I think we'd made the video and, you know, the sort of, you know, we had the blurb and it was up and I started on it and then unfortunately my daughter died. So I've had that whole period of not being able to concentrate on that because Mm. it was a really horrific situation that is still ongoing and a legal situation that's still ongoing. So I kind of had to just forget about that. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if people were browsing, looking for material, when all this Black Lives Matter thing and the whole world was concentrating on it. People just started bidding on it a lot more. I think mm-hmm. it had been sent for like two years and I think it's gone up to like 17 now. But I still mm-hmm. haven't pushed as much. That was without, without us doing anything
0: mm-hmm.
2: on it. So um, yeah, we're going to really work on, concentrate on getting that funded and getting it going now. It was weird how it's just, still relevant mm. which it didn't have to be it hasn't aged really because yeah. it's just the same stuff still happening yeah
0: yeah it's not like it's yeah. a new issue it's there's like some... current current yeah. current, current yeah, now yeah. there's more light on there you know all of it
2: yeah exactly so it seems really topical now so people like, oh my god it's topical you've written it and i've like i wrote it like in 2015
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it's just the same old
1: this just makes me think of like i remember when i was i must have been a teenager in the 90s or Maybe a little bit older, and just knowing people, and sometimes even in my own family, who'd sort of every time I, uh, they'd say like they like this comedian or that comedian, and every time it was a black comedian, it was always like, I really like them. I just wish everything wasn't about yeah. race. And is there this problem that you know, it's like, well, if it stopped, then maybe the yeah. comedy related to it it's
2: annoying because it's like scottish comedians talk about being scottish all the time welsh comedians the same thing so obviously black people are going to talk about you talk especially if you're doing observational comedy you have to talk about what what happens to you and that literally is like we went to that oh that happened great you know what i mean we were asked what we were doing there and we were walking through this village to do this tour and all the people sort of looked at us like you know with some kind of weird character, you know, so obviously it's going to influence. And it doesn't... And the thing is, it doesn't necessarily follow its true, because that's actually not all I talk about. I talk about lots of other stuff, talk about being... It was my parents' stuff that people kind of related, Mm. because I think I was, like, the first female comment to go, my kids get on my beeping nerves. People were like, oh, we can say that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we can. Like, just going... And because, like, my comedy's always... Some people will have jokes and they'll say, okay, my kid's five years old and that kid's five years old for 20 years. Um, I didn't. My kids grew up as I was doing comedy. So it was like, as we went into teenage years, as we went into this stage, as we went into that stage. So it was just, you know, they were like two and seven when I first started. Mm -hmm. So it was like growing up, it was cheeky stuff. It was my son trying to swear at me and get away with it and you know just so it just grew with people related to it all the way through I think yeah. so I did do other things and yeah talk about social situations and stuff lots mm. of things really mm. but people will come you know go, oh all black comedians do think about is being black okay <laughs>
1: is that just what we've tuned into as well where just like even if there were other things it's yeah just, sometimes yeah.
2: they do here and sometimes they don't but i don't think you know i have just had gigs i remember doing a gig in preston at the time i was doing um a routine using a gollywog, and loads of people didn't even know what it was about and i was getting so much flack for it but the whole point of it was um there was a guy who came up to me at the edinburgh festival and told me how to he goes oi oi you you have you ever trained a dog to be racist? And I was like, no. And he goes, why? And I said, because it will probably backfire. Why would I want to? Like, what, how the hell do you train a dog to be racist? So he told me this story, which I was just like, how dare you? But then I would go on stage and absolutely deconstruct it. So basically mm-hmm. he'd said, how you train a dog to be racist? I mean, sorry, <laughs> I'm thinking of it and just thinking the levels of what, so he said, you train a dog to be racist, you wank it off, and when it's just about to come, you stop and hit it repeatedly in the face with a gollywog. What? Right. I mean, where do you start with that? I mean... I... Right, so... I. How did this person even get into that situation? I, I, there's so, I... many, <laughs> so many. So many strands of that that you have to pick apart to go, what <laughs> the fuck? Are you... And he was dead serious as well. He was dead serious about it. And so we, I just thought, no, this has got to go into routine. So I got this gollywog and um, it was really interesting. So I got the gollywog and I said, well, this doesn't look like any black person I've ever known. And it was like, I was like, look at this ridiculous looking thing. And it was sort of tearing it apart. And then it was like, what are you doing ranking your dog? And what the hell? And what the hell, you know? And uh, um, cause Liz Hurley had made a joke a few years ago that her dog was racist. Right, and I, I don't know if she trained it I said but maybe it wasn't the dog she needed to train maybe it should have been her then boyfriend that she needed to train like, what the hell and um, it was yeah it was just such a weird story so people really got into it and I would jump it around right. and then this guy sent me a little gollywog um, in a <laughs> he goes because no 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 you don't understand the reason that Gollywog doesn't look like you is because you're a girl and that's a boy so he sent me a girlfriend what stop it oh
1: my god,
2: I little girl oh my I god. Said, that does not what? look like me either i would never wear that fucking dress <laughs> and, and, oh. you know it was just abs- the thing that people think they can do and say and get away oh my with god. and it was yeah that literally just became a root. people are people are nuts
0: uh, There's so many layers to that yeah, that are not okay. That, yeah. but, I mean, wow.
2: yeah. <laughs> I was actually going to do an Edinburgh show. I just hate the Edinburgh Festival, but I was going to do an Edinburgh show, The History of Racist Toys. Because okay. I start then looking up like other ones, and they had like this, um, they called it an, a nigger money box for your child. It had these great big lips that would open, you'd shove coins into it. There was just, uh, like these kind of skittle type things, but they were black babies that like you would smash them down and just like Jesus what the hell? Christ. Yeah, those stuff. I will do that show one day. Actually, I will do
1: that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that I sounds like a yeah, great show.
2: Other things I want to do, but I'll definitely do
0: that at some point if we ever get yeah. <laughs> ever allowed out again? Allowed yeah.
1: So um, it's funding on Unbound at the moment, so people can yeah. go to unbound.com um and then they can contribute to try and make the book happen and they get their name yes, they in do. the book there's
2: all kinds of little rewards that they get and we're also um going to be putting a pitch together to see if we can get some kind of sponsor, corporate sponsorship as well great so if there's any business owners who uh, want to uh who tweeted black lives matter you can mm-hmm. invest in this book
0: <laughs> you can do something more than post a black square you can take some action exactly.
2: uh-huh exactly so, yeah, Unbound's really, you know, they've had some really good people published through there. I like them. Mm. I like what they're about and stuff like that. It's interesting.
1: Brilliant. Um, now, usually this would be the part of the show where we'd ask you to read um, something from the book. But have a, do I understand there's a slight yes, problem with that? Yes, I
2: lost my book. Um, my book <laughs> was on my computer that got stolen.
0: No. In, um, I uh, think uh, meant it meant, like, you've got a copy and you've just, like, left it somewhere. Yes. Oh, no,
2: no, 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 oh. no. It got mixed. Everything went
0: on that computer, and I am why are people so shit?
2: I'm um, just so many things I will never get again that mm. uh, I was yeah, so I'm really mm. pissed off about it but so I lost it, so I was saying I do have a hard copy of it
0: mm-hmm.
2: somewhere in a box somewhere that I guess I'm going to have to free through my scanner at some point and scan it back into a computer but and then I guess I'm bound to have got it as well, mm. but it wasn't yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it wasn't very. I was just devastated at everything that I lost on that computer.
1: i got a bet. Well, Ava, thank you very much for coming along yeah, and, and chatting to fun. us. It was, it was uh, really for...
2: good fun. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. I thought, oh my god, this is like a really booky thing. Are you, you know, is it light-hearted? Is it like, you know? But yeah, it was
1: good. It was fun. Thank you. Have I got the feeling that you've I got did. to go and look go after into the I banging.
2: I don't like it. <laughs> it's um, <not> good. <laughs> guys, thank you very much for having me. Thank um, you, Ava.
0: Really nice to meet you. You too. Thank you very much.
1: Bye. Bye. Well, Ellie, you were kind of pretty close. I mean... I think so. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you had some hints. Just, but, just, you know, small one. Yeah, but to be honest, you were given one very small hint, which you then, I think, got so involved in concentrating on everything else that you forgot about. So, And I
0: think, you know, there's... Um, it goes to kind of defining a book by one phrase. There's so much more to it, which is what we learn on this podcast. There are so many different elements to people's writing and, you know, a lot more to dig into.
1: Yeah, and I think have really gone down a route of quite a, a serious book, which I imagine, you know, as a comedian, that's a that's a tough thing to kind of mm. jump into. So
0: Especially when she says, um, you know, the humour writing that is more difficult than being on stage and presenting it that way so it must be kind of yeah a really weird dichotomy i think um but you can tell from how she speaks that there is this real dark humor underlying everything i think that's something that was quite easy to pick up on throughout Well, i think ava's book will resonate with so many people um
1: and it does really need help. I mean, I'm just looking. It's um, because of lockdown and all sorts of crazy reasons. It's now a few months since we recorded Ava's episode. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also several years since her crowdfunding campaign launched. And it's pretty shocking to see. And I have seen some of the times these crowdfunding campaigns fill in hours. Um, she's on 21%.
0: So where can we go, Mark, to boost the crowdfunding?
1: We can go to unbound.com. And search for Ava Vidal um, or search Pour On Water or just the full link is unbound.com forward slash books forward slash pour dash on dash water. So go and help crowdfund Ava's book.
0: You've been listening to Poking Books with Ellie Harris and Mark Bowsher.
1: You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Both of them are just at Poking Books.
0: No hashtags, no underscores, just simply at Poking Books. You can also listen to the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash Poking Books.
1: Or wherever you get your podcasts from.
0: And remember, if you do enjoy the podcast, please subscribe because it means more people will find us and listen to us.
1: You've been listening to a Rabbit Island podcast and do tune in for the next episode very soon.
0: Thank you very much for listening.
1: Thank you. Bye.